the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again. With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land, God bless the USA. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. You got Mark Donnelly and Carrie Waddell. And what a great song. Yeah. Lee Greenwood. I know that one. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know you know this one, Carrie. Yeah, we'll probably hear it a bit this weekend. Mm-hmm. Going into the 4th of July weekend. So, and I don't know if the country could be any more divided. Oh, no kidding. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we'll talk about, we're taping this show on Friday. Heading into the what for a lot of people will be a four day weekend, don't you think? Mm-hmm. You know, for some now, people, yeah. You're wor- we're working Monday, right? Yeah, I already have meetings. People they want to come in. <laughs> I yeah, know. I don't know. Not I, all day though. I think I'm working from my home office. Oh, okay. You know that. You know what That's that means. Okay, though. I think I'm doing that because I'm missing a day, another day next week. <laughs> yeah. So, but hopefully everyone will have a safe and good holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. With the families and the backyard cookouts and, and all And you know that. what? The good news is, I did hear this morning coming in that the cost of a cookout or picnic this year compared to last out is down considerably. There you go. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to price gouge the, the relish and the ketchup no, over the weekend? No, yeah. Although uh-huh. I hear, did you hear sriracha sauce? And you like hot sauce. I don't, yeah. but like my boys do. Sriracha is like... Like premium cost now. They were saying some sriracha brands are like seventy bucks a bottle. Not the ones I buy, Carrie. Me either, Mark. I buy like. A- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Guess paying what? seventy dollars no a way. bottle. I'll buy seventy dollars bottle for a good, you know, Kentucky bourbon, more or less, okay. sriracha. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, but I mean, cookouts. Uh, uh, how can you get any more American, right? I mean, how much are you going to pay for hamburger and hot dogs, right? So it's still, mm-hmm. I think, a good value, and everybody loves the backyard cookouts. Um, so what else is going on? So we're going to take it easy today, Carrie. I don't have okay. Not that I, you know, we we did get a lot of we got some um, economic data. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of inflation, so we'll go over the PCE data and GDP and, and consumer is still strong. Um, of course, one of the things that we've all been waiting for was the Supreme Court decision on Biden's student don't student loan debt relief. Boy, they wait till the last yeah, day. They waited. They did come out though this morning, and of course, no surprise. Well, maybe a surprise. But uh, I, I that that it was basically they struck it down. Um, but and that's based on their job is interpreting the law and what Biden has a right. It's really not on the opinion of what's fair. It's what the law states and what his he was allowed to do or not allowed to do. Right, but it's still though the court. It's the sixty three. It's a court of sixty three. Carrie. It, in other words, the, there are there are a bunch of decisions came down mm-hmm. on affirmative action and the. Um, and the 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 Colorado case regarding the the person who didn't want to do the website for the gay couple, you know, there and all the decisions came down six to three, right? And you know who the three are, and you right. know who the six are, and that's so. How is it just all political? I mean, and I, I hope it's not because I hope it's them interpreting the law. Do we all agree that college is overpriced and that we have to do? Something for people overwhelmed. I don't care what yeah. side you fall politically. So are now we, are, you know, and as I was mentioning last week, a lot of economists are thinking if the if the Supreme Court did strike down, then would that lead to a, a recession? Because now all that discretionary spending that the student loan borrowers were not using to pay their monthly loans going into the mom and pop shops across America, now that's all going to be shut off because they have to now pay back the student loans. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, we'll see if it has an effect. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the different potential uh, causes that will that will tip this country back into recession. You know, it's, it's a, we call it the most anticipated recession ever, Gary, right? Mm-hmm. I keep saying the Thanksgiving recession. Um, I, last week I talked about the cardboard box recession. Right. Um, or last year it was the recession, right? Remember when Biden was blaming it on, on Putin, right? And he was blaming right. the, the, you know, um, now some people think it's the rich session. Have you heard uh, this one? No, Gary? that's a new one. Okay. The rich session is um, the idea, it, it, it kind of gets a long line, which I talked about before, is the rolling recession. So a rolling recession is when there are certain, uh, you know, certain parts of the economy are suffering while other ones aren't. Right. Okay. So it's the uh, meaning not all industries are having a, a problem, but certain industries are. That's sometimes called a rolling recession, um, which means that the overall economy stays above water. Okay, okay. Um, that it, it doesn't sink into the, what what the they're going to call a, a recession historically. Um, but now we have, and some other thing, it's kind of a, a offshoot of that, a rich 
recession. Um, so they're saying that major job cuts have been concentrated in higher paying industries like tech and finance, heavy with professional workers who generally have the financial cushions to withstand layoffs. Um, and so, and also that type of uh, person, especially a tech person, we could say, has the skills to get rehired pretty quickly, Carrie, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they're saying that it, it, that may be the type of recession and that's not going to be bad for the whole country. Um, so call it what you will. You know, if the, the point is if you're worried that the next economic downturn is going to derail your retirement plan, what are you doing about it? Are you just sitting home on the couch complaining about it? Now, as I was mentioning last week, I, I don't know how many of our listeners on the radio show still have their own student loan debt, but many of our listeners may be having, having to help out their children who have student loan debt or right. perhaps grandchildren right. who have student loan debt. And so now that we know that that forgiveness isn't happening, okay, you may be thinking, hey, can I, can I still afford to help out my child or my grandchild just to get them out from under i mean because it's with the interest right and of course maybe today we'll talk a little bit about what will be biden's plan b now that his debt forgiveness has been struck down by the supreme court and we'll i'll talk a little bit about that today so what else did i want to also last week carrie was talking about that i'd maybe i'd dust off the rule of 61 and that's the idea of, you know, I've been in the last few shows, I've been talking about, you know, how the DIYI, the do it yourself internet, is obsessed with giving us articles saying what the average American is, right? In terms mm-hmm. of finances, you know, what the average 401k is, or what the average retirement age is, or what the, you know, all these averages. And, and we keep saying, who cares about the average? It's a big country. You know, there's 350 million people and they, you know, for their surveys, they interview a couple thousand. Um, so, you know, what can you really extrapolate as, as opposed to being so concerned with the shock lines and trying to stay up with the Joneses because you want to be above average or, right. you, or you're worried because you're below average. I, th- that's not the point in our opinion. Mm-hmm. Our opinion is don't worry about your neighbor, worry about yourself. And that's what we try to help, you know, our clients get to the point where are you working on a plan that's based on your goals, your objectives? Don't ask your neighbor. You know, maybe you have to figure out this yourself. But and I think people don't know a lot of times is they're worried about, you know what, I know I'm okay now. I know I'm okay, but I'm worried about if there's a recession, if things go south, if there's higher inflate, whatever it could be that you're worried about. Is my pile big enough where if you knew you can do all the spending you want and you're not running out of money with that long-term financial model, then maybe you could spend and help your kids. And if you're worried about their spending, you know, if you're paying a loan directly, then you know exactly how that money's being used, maybe to help them in a better financial position to know, you know, if you could, um, would you, do you even know, um, since it's July 4th, I, Mark, I found this when I was clearing off my debt. Actually, one of our clients sent to you, sent it to you in 2013. 
2013. And you made me a copy. Great year. It was saying, Mark, I came across this quote and thought the estate planning team might like it and it's most appropriate. And the quote is from Dwight Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. And it talks, this fits for what we do at the estate planning team. It said, no battle was ever won according to plan, but no battle was ever won without one. Right. Plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. And I found it when I was going to find it. I was like, oh, I've, that's I've so kind of, good. I've kind of morphed that into one of our estate planning team axioms is that, you know, all models are wrong, right. but some are useful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is people don't know, or maybe, you know, sometimes we have people come in and they're not worried. And frankly, they need to be. Maybe it is in the next five years, 10 years, but at their level of spending, if they continue and based on inflation and these things, they're not going to be okay, especially if, you know, they're going to run out and maybe they're okay with that. You know, you know, people say, I'm not going to make it till 80. How many times are 85? Well, you might make it there. Your quality may not be great and you may need that extra cash floating so that you can stay in your home or you can pay for things that you physically can't or don't want to do anymore. So I think it's just getting as much as planning. We talk about saving money. It's also about clarity on knowing what's possible, what's not, how to use your assets more effectively, um, tax planning opportunities. And that's what we do at the estate planning team who sponsors this program, Financial Food for Thought. We're here every Saturday morning on 1420 AM between 9 and 10. And the estate planning team has been around more than 36 years, and we are an affordable fee-based Ohio-registered fiduciary planning firm that does financial modeling, number crunches. We don't do investments. We do look at our clients' assets in terms of risk. Are they taking on more risk than necessary? If you can do all the spending you want to do and you're in fixed positions, but you're never going to run out of money, maybe you don't need much market risk. If any, we have clients that... You know what? They know they've missed the bull run, but they don't care. They, For them, slow growth or minimal growth it was better than loss because maybe they were through it in 2008 or 2012. They've lost big, you know, a right. big chunk. And also, we've now run a model based on an appropriate rate of return if they are staying out of the... Mm-hmm. the and if the a model is showing even at this low rate of return, right. you're still going to be, be okay, mm-hmm. that gives them the peace of mind that why do I want to take on more risk than what I need to be okay? Sometimes, you know, sleeping at night or yeah, having that peace of mind and not stressing is so much better. But do you know, maybe, you know, you like those gains, but are you taking on more risk? You know, maybe you need to change that strategy, you know, uh, and a lot of people have assets, but they don't have cash flow. They we keep saying like, I don't know how to create it. And that's what we do also is how to create income cash efficiently or tax efficiently and use opportunities in the complicated tax code. Looking at tax brackets, we don't do tax preparation. We do modeling and coordinate with your existing tax preparer. Or if you're doing um, one of those online softwares on your own, same thing with investments. We don't do that. Our clients do that themselves. They work with someone. We don't care. Well, it doesn't matter to us. That's not what we do. Um, we do objective analysis, whether it's pension elections, you're talking about best things, whether it's funding a college um, 
distribution, cash flow planning, or which I said before, gifting, whether gifting could mean to charities, it could be family. You can give for purposes like the student loan. Hey, I'm going to give this, but I'm going to give it directly. I'm going to make that payment directly to that entity wherever you do, because I want my money used for that purpose. Um, so maybe so my kids are who are working can contribute to their company plan, get the tax bracket at least up to the match where I'm going to help them with some of those cash flow issues. Whatever that may be, we might be able to help and we offer a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation. We're happy to do by phone or in person. You can call us at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090 or visit us at financial foodforthought.com. So Carrie, when we talk about the risks of not of of your plan not working, you could look at that from two sides of a coin, right? You mentioned which is on most people's mind first is the risk of running out of money before life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where I agree, baby boomers are not getting a very good handle on longevity. Um, of, of, of the people we talk to, it's a struggle for us to try them, to, uh, to try to get them to even think that the possibility that they could live beyond age 85. And I don't know. It's just right. a, a lot of people just don't buy it. But the, but you could also say the flip the coin over and the other side of the risk is that you're too conservative, mm-hmm. meaning that you are you 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 are you you are going to wind up with a huge estate at age 90 or 95 where then you're saying wow i wish i would have should have could have retire and and this is i guess a good example of that is the depression kids oh yeah you know, that who, was our first client who uh who again didn't have any financial models like we mm-hmm. have today. They were winging it basically, right. and they were always, you know, so conservative. And they wound up with huge estates at death, mm-hmm. and 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 never went to Hawaii. And you know, no. um, and they and, had and, a hard time spending even when they saw it because that was just not what they did. It's hard to change those very. You know, ha- frugal habits and so, at that late stage. So, so having a good written economic model based on your goals, your objectives, and conservative and realistic assumptions keep prevents you from falling into either side of those risks. And, and Carrie, I would say we probably have more clients coming to the estate planning team who are on the second side of that that risk, meaning that they could be spending more or they could retire earlier right. than we have the ones that are running out. Now, maybe that's, you know, and, and, but in either case, don't you want to know? And, Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, again, we know that all models are wrong, but some are useful. In other words, the idea of financial planning discipline isn't that you do a financial model once and put into a sock drawer for 30 years. Um, the, the, uh, it isn't the idea of having your investment advisor run you a Monte Carlo analysis once in the, in the 20 years you're, you've been working with them that said you've got an 86% chance of being okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't leave, uh, in our experience, because cl- we have certainly had a lot of clients when they first became clients with the estate planning team, they brought in those Monte Carlo analysis and they said, I don't know what this means. It's just something somebody did for me. Right. Um, it never left them in the decision-making mode. It really wasn't a working tool for them. Right. 
Um, and so our planning process is a bit different. We, we say, yeah, let's get to the point where the model is something that you can use. You understand how it works. You understand how to make changes. Right. Um, whether that be you want to build what sometimes we refer to as the plan R, meaning a worst case scenario, like a plan R for recession or recovery, you know, something like that. Um, so, and that's what we've been doing for 36 years. And, and once, and it's a really, it's a powerful tool once you get working at it, once you get the, the financial discipline. The other thing too, you know, just reflecting, Carrie, on, on, you know, the fact that we've worked with now two or three generations. Um, I'm not going to be working with the Z generation, Carrie. Maybe you will, but okay. I'm, 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 I don't think I am, but whatever. What age uh, is that? Those are the, the youngest ones now, the 25 okay. and under right now. Okay. Um, but because I think the robots are going to be working with them. Okay. I think guys like us are going to be gone. It's all going to be robots. Um, I don't but, know. Those robots are people coming out. AI is scary. I know, but they just, they're just, they just don't know the, how to ask the right questions yet, but they will. The robots will get smart enough. We don't want them to be that smart. I just keep saying, though, the robots are going to have to pay payroll taxes, and they're not they going to be happy about that. We don't want them that, that smart. Um, I don't want them that smart. You know, now, the so one of the things is, too, is that it seems to be across the generations, Carrie, is this idea that you have to go from the accumulation phase into the distribution phase. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be consistent on every generation we work right. with. It's this idea that when you're working and you're in the accumulation that you're trying to save everything, you're trying to build the 401ks or what have you, or the IRAs or the Roth IRAs, whatever. And then you, you get, you go into retirement and, you know, we can show people all day long on paper that they can spend more money. That doesn't mean they ever do it. Right. Or it's the idea sometimes, Carrie, we say, well, the client, you know, we get the comment, oh, well, I know I look wealthy on paper, but I don't feel wealthy. Oh, quite often. And that's more just because they're, they're not used to generating a cash flow that replaces their cash flow they had while they were working. Mm-hmm. It's creating your own pay stub. Right. And you want to do it to pay the least amount of taxes, ideally, to still cover your spending needs. Right. But, you know, and but you still have to. Yeah, that's the your your ending point is the key to still maintain your lifestyle. Right. I mean, we can save everybody taxes. You know what? Don't spend any money. I Richard, can guarantee you, if you don't spend any money, you we I can save taxes. I worked hard my whole life, so I don't spend? I don't think so. Right. So the idea is a, a good financial discipline or a financial model is getting you through that phase, getting you over that hump where you're going from the, you know, it's no longer about making your pot bigger necessarily. It's now enjoying the fruit of your labors. Right. And still having the peace of mind that you're not going to run out before the life. Right. And that is really when you get comfortable with that and you start and you have a working model that you can measure your progress. Mm-hmm. So it, when you get a curveball, when life throws you a curveball, um you and you get you get you, you don't you don't go so far off plan that you can't get back on. Right. 
you know, and, and that's what, that's the idea of financial planning. And we're very active planners at the estate planning team. You know, one of our, another, one of our other axioms, you know, whether we preach all the time is, you know what, and when it terms to, comes to financial uh, planning or financial maintenance, what you did last year might not be what you do this year mm-hmm. and not necessarily what you're going to do next year. Correct. All right. Don't get into ruts. Okay. Um, you, you have to be more active. So, all right. So let's see. Um, we did get some economic data. Economic data. So, it, and, and one of the things is, you know, the, the threat of recession or what have you. But yeah, a lot of people think it's a no show recession because guess what, Gary? The economy is holding in there. So we've got, mm-hmm. we got the third reading of first quarter GDP. Okay. And of course, everybody knows the first indicator, or a lot of people still say the indicator of a recession is when you have two consecutive negative GDP quarters. Right. Okay. Um, Well, so now we're looking at the first quarter GDP. And the first reading back in April was 1.1%. Not real exciting. Right. But certainly not negative. Correct. Okay. The second reading in May was 1.3%. Even better. A little bit better. Now we had the third and last reading of first quarter GDP. It came in at 2.0%. That's a huge difference. Well, from almost a whole full percentage oh, point. That's from what the I'm saying. Year. How um, can it be that off? Well, it's, it's, I don't know if it's that off. It, it's just the idea that it just indicates that, yeah, the, the cons- U.S. consumer is, is hanging in there. And, you know, and, and we, and a lot of people were thinking that GDP would be caving right now. Right. And that's not the case. So, you know, that's why sometimes a lot of people, they call it the no show recession. It just keeps getting pushed back out. Right. Um, pushed out further. Well, eventually, won't someone be right? Because just normal economic cycles. Yeah, I think we'll. Also, <laughs> I think you, I think I'm going to see another recession in my lifetime. Right. God willing. Um, yeah, but it is it is a point where uh, you know how many more recessions are you going to see in your lifetime? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the so we also got the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation indicator, the PCE, the okay. Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, right? And that came out um, this morning. And good news there. Again, another indicator that the disinflation is happening. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so let's look at, we could look at headline. We'll start with headline and we look at year over year. It came in at 3.8%. Okay. So from the beginning of the year, so the, the last year, the headline PCE annual year over year ended at 5.0%. Then in January, it ticked up to 5.4%. Then in February, it went back down to 5%. Then in March, it went dipped down to 4.2%. Then in April, it ticked back up to 4.4%. And now in May, it went back down to 3.8%. Okay. So you can see the trend... uh, has it peaked? It's a jagged peak, right? Right. It's not going straight down, but it is somewhat going down. Now, if you look at, some people say, well, let's look at monthly, month over month, because that's more recent. That's, you know, right. you know, and so, okay, so the month over month 
came in at 0.1%. Okay, better, you know, and now if we go from the first of the year, so last year ended at same just now, 0.1%. But in January, it ticked up to 0.6%. Then in February, it ticked back down to 0.3%. Then in March, it went down to 0.1%. Then April, it ticked back up to 0.4%, and now in May, ticked back down to 0.1%. Again, a jagged peak. But but from January, 0.6 to 0.1? Right. Um, now, the, now re- really, the Federal Reserve likes is the core PCE, okay. which excludes food and energy. And when, when you look at that, um, all right, so... That came in at okay, so the head or the the year over year. So this is core PCE year over year. Um, came in at four point six percent, a bit higher than the headline three point eight percent. Okay, now that's why it, you know again you, you you can't have it both ways. You know a lot of people complain that well, why are you using core? Because food and energy should be included. Yeah, but food and energy is you can't control OPEC, right? And you can't uh, global food prices, and they're too volatile, right? I mean, you, you know, if you look at um, this latest data, energy prices fell three point nine percent. So are you going to make are you going to make the assumption that all your expenses are now down three point nine percent? No, no, nobody's doing that. Okay, and food was just up 0.1 percent. So, so you exclude that, and and the federal reserve you try to get a more realistic about you know things, and it's 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 a debate will go on and on. I understand that, but let's get back to the numbers. So, um, so we did core year over year 4.6. So since the beginning of the year, so the year ended last year at 4.4, then January 4.7, then February 4.6 then March 4.6, then April 4.7, then May 4.6. You see how sticky it is, Carrie? Mm. And that's what the Federal Reserve keeps saying. That's why we're not done raising interest rates, because they don't see core going down. Now, when will we have the June numbers? Not till end of July? Yeah, they come out monthly. Okay. No, I'm saying it takes that long for them to reassess. No, they just... June numbers... Right, you get them. Yeah, so June numbers will come out at the end of July. July right. numbers come out at the end of right. August. Right, I'm saying it takes them that long to figure out what happened. Yeah, CPI comes out earlier in the month. Right, that's what I thought one of them did. Oh yeah, CPI and PPI come out two weeks earlier. But core than the, takes longer. Yeah, well, no, the PCE comes takes okay. longer. Okay. Uh, yeah, the PCE is always okay. delayed. The longer. personal consumption. Yeah. Um, all right. If you look over a month, over a month. Um, similar stickiness. So going from it ended last year at 0.3%, January 0.6%, February 0.3%, March 0.3%, April 0.4%, May 0.3%. See, very sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why the Federal Reserve isn't done with their interest rate hikes. That's why there's more pain to come. But you know, I, I talked last week, too, about if you wanted to make an assumption for your worst-case scenario, higher inflation right. for longer. 
and I was using Benjamin's four percent rule, remember, mm-hmm. as a as a barometer, right, or, or, to see how that yeah, materially affects an, the back, long. Right, a back of an envelope where if you did really believe that inflation was going to be higher for longer, then you may want to modify if you're using the four percent rule mm-hmm. as a back of an envelope calculation. Right. And you can go back and listen to that podcast show and, and get the numbers. I thought you were going to talk about the previous show when you talked about everybody like, OK, these numbers give you an idea, but it comes down to your spending. We have some people that will and you did talk about this either last week or the week will change their expenses, replace by cheaper items, other people. So, you know, th- even though inflation's gotten higher, they've adjusted their spending. So maybe they're not spending any different. And other people who are buying the same thing are spending more. But it comes down to what's your numbers. Right. You know, look at what you spent last year compared to this year. Your personal. Right. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why the Federal Reserve prefers the PCE, because the PCE, in, you know, takes that into consideration. Mm-hmm. That people substitute cheaper goods right. if inflation gets higher, whereas CPI doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, um, but I, I, was, I was talking about the 4% rule, and sure enough, did you see the article, Carrie, about Susie Orman versus uh, oh, she William Benjamin on the 4% rule? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, and, and you know, if you listen to this show over the years, I'm not a big Susie Orman fan. Okay. Um, I think, I'm not sure which audience she's trying to reach. I think she's more concerned about her own personal wealth than anything else. Um, selling stuff. And boy, is she good at that. Um, and I, I don't yeah. know, I don't know what her, what the infatuation is with her, but she's got that it. She's it. Um, yeah, she even were quoted saying, I would not be using the 4% rule on any level. <laughs> she thinks that's very dangerous. Right. I was like, <laughs> I was like, really? And, um, Ooh. and she was saying that, that, you know, maybe if you were going to use that type of a parameter, you better use 3%. Meaning that you could, you know, you only take out three percent of your uh, portfolio for spending, as opposed to four. Um, withdraw your withdrawal rate, we call that. You know what? Um, what percentage are you withdrawing from your nest egg in retirement? Um, but she also said, Carrie, that you know Americans better stop thinking about retiring at least until seventy. I think it depends. Um, you know, or That's longer. A- Wow. But wait, is that realistic? Because you know what? Sometimes people's health or family circumstances. And how many people just don't want to work till 70? Yeah. And I, and I don't know. Maybe she is talking to the, the, the Z generation, Carrie. Maybe that's her audience. And she's trying to get them saying, yeah, you, you can't retire. You know, remember last week I was talking about how that Z generation think they're going to be retired before 60 or whatever. Um, now, um, and part of that working to 70 mean that's why she's saying you never take your social security right. before age 70. Um, so, you know, she's saying, stop this. Oh, I'm going to retire at 60 and I'm going to start claiming social security at 62. She's not a big fan of that. But so how did William Benjamin respond? And so he was recently quoted, um, and talking about his famous 4% rule. And he's saying he, he he and he said this over the years. Remember, he originally published that in '94, Gary. Mm-hmm. And over the decades, he's been saying, "Hey, listen, 
I didn't mean that was the right percentage for everyone, and you got to adjust it. Right. It was it, it, his math works. The formulas. Yeah. Work. You, and, it, and, nobody said you had to be like they couldn't be adjusted. And it is a good back of an envelope calculation if you're just trying to get in the ballpark. Um, now, um, so he's saying that. Uh, you know, because he says that originally when he did it, he was looking at treasury bonds and large cap stocks as the benchmark, a 50-50 type benchmark. But then he also went in and, and he was a very smart guy, Gary. Mm-hmm. He, he was brilliant, actually. And But then he would go in and make a third class saying, what if I ended small cap stocks as part of my 50% right. uh, equity as opposed to 100% large cap? And then with through that, it could increase the withdrawal rate from 4% to like 4.5%. But then he also talked about how inflation could adjust your calculations. Um, now, he's saying he's personally, right now, he's upped his withdrawal rate to 4.7%, which is a lot of, a lot different than Susie's right. 3%. You know? and, but again, I don't know. They weren't in the same room together, so I don't know if you can even compare this. Um, but he, you know, he says that the four percent rule was still more of a worst case scenario um, based on that. But in in either case, our point is you can you can do this on your own. You right. know, you you and it's really remember the factors that go into that. It's it's first of all, it's your time period. You know, so Benjamin was using thirty years. Well, obviously, if you're thinking you're going to retire at age sixty. 30 years may not be long enough. Right. It might be. It might not be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, Benjamin was using a 5% rate of return. Well, you got to ask your investment advisor what, you know, based on how, ha- how he has your portfolio allocated, what should the long-term rate of return you should be using? Maybe mm-hmm. it's not 5%. Right. So maybe you need to adjust Benjamin's 5% for what your guy's telling you. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, the, the third element was what inflation rate or, you know, are you using? Benjamin usually initially was using three and a half percent. Um, so, and that's what I did on last week's show. You can go back and listen to the podcast. I said, well, how would you modify the 4% rule if you wanted to use higher inflation? So just a little update on that. I thought it was timely that just when I was mm-hmm. talking about that. So the, the 4% rule, again, it's going to be debated. It'll always be debated. Math doesn't break down. Our point is it's a tool. It's a, it's a back of an envelope tool. It's a good way to, if you want to quickly, you know, kind of get an idea of what, how much you could be spending in retirement, but you might want to modify it mm-hmm. for, you know, the current circumstances. Right. And if you'd like to take advantage of a free consultation to see how we might be able to help you, what opportunities you may be missing out on? Are there traps you're headed for? Are you worried about something maybe you shouldn't be? Are um, are you not worried and maybe you should be? You'll get a, a different perspective on your financial life without pressure and take advantage of a free consultation. Call the office, leave a message. We will call you back or you send an email through our website. Call 440-239-2090. That's 440 440- Two three nine twenty ninety, or visit financialfoodforthought.com. All right, listen to Mark Dolly and Carrie Waddell, and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 36 years. And over that time period, Carrie, we've certainly helped a lot of 
clients make the successful shift from the accumulation phase into the golden years of the distribution mm-hmm. phase. And the way we do it, you know, one plan at a time. You know, in other words, we don't go with the averages. We try to say, you know, what is really happening with you. Now, so we mentioned at the beginning of the show that uh, the Supreme Court did strike down Biden's student loan debt forgiveness plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, I assume, will become a big political issue in the 2024 election. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because you're going to hear the Democrats say, you know, or in Biden, who's running for reelection. Mm-hmm. Is he really? As of this hour, he is. Um, oh, my goodness. So and he's going to be saying, hey, look, I tried to help all you student loan borrowers, it, it, you know, and, and I need more help. In other words, so the Supreme oh Court says I can't do it on my own. Are they going to keep Congress. them? In the, they'll keep them in the basement again. So he'll that's that will be the plea to to, to get more democratic liberal vote you know in congress that they will then have enough votes to pass the student don't that relief so now the democrats have two big issues carrie going into the 2024 election one will be the abortion rights and one will be the student loan debt forgiveness we get ready right um but what for right now what is biden's plan b um so you know right now the interest on the you know the, the moratorium ends august the end of august right and then interest starts accruing september 1st where payments need to start being paid again on um august mm-hmm. no i mean september you're saying october, october is october 1st right. yeah yeah so yeah so we've got the september 1st interest accrues october 1st payments are supposed to start again um but we we've had indications of what Biden's plan B is and things that he can do um, or without having to get, you know, the, the, the 50 votes in the, in the Senate, 51 votes. Um, so it, it'd be continue. And, and a lot of it has to do with the income driven repayment plans, right? In other words, saying that it's, ba- you know, what the student loan, borrower has to repay monthly is based on their income okay all right so if they're in a low income um they don't have to pay as much what the what the standard payment would have been right but isn't that just stretch out their interest longer right but the idea of the plan b is then once they're in it for if they stay under that plan for 20 years, for example, then the remaining debt is forgiven. But I'd like to know cumulatively what they paid basis, what the balance was. It's terrible. I'm saying, I mean, why doesn't he make something about the interest pay or something? Well, again, you know? it's, it's now. So and how is and how the income driven repayment actually works? It's kind of. Gets into the weeds, Gary. Oh, you think? Always. If you need help with that, come and see so us. So even over. 20 years you get forgiven, your balance, I mean, that's never getting out of the hole, basically. And there's been lots of versions of what Plan B may look like. Right. So this is just one write-up on it. And this was something that was, um, you know, a lot of this actually talk started last year when it was initially questioned whether the president had the constitutional right to just forgive student loan debt, no. which we kind of said he doesn't, um, but, you know, whatever. Um, so under the new IDR, the Income Driven Repayment Proposal, borrower payments start at 225% 
of the federal poverty level and would equal 5% of adjusted gross income above that amount. <laughs> okay. It's clear as mud, Carrie, right? Mm-hmm. Now, as compared to most current plans, it's based on 150% of the federal poverty level, not 225%. Mm-hmm. And it's a 10% of adjusted gross income, not 5 So clearly, this is this is almost cutting the student the un- right. in half what the payment would be. Right. So in other words, what your child or you personally or your grandchild, if they were following the IDR plan right. before the, the moratorium, before the RONA, now it's restarting, it'd probably be a half the payment. Right, but you're just stretch. If you stretch out, I feel like by doing that, then they're they're just going to accumulate more interest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I understand it helps people with cash flow, but it's not really helping that balance. The second gone. part of it is the forgiveness. Right. So borrowers would receive loan forgiveness after 20 years of repayment. Right, but how much? It, right. I, I just and, and and those who start with a balance of twelve thousand or less would have to pay for only 10 years before forgiveness. Okay. I'm saying some, I don't know. I feel like there has to be a better solution. Well, one of the things when we were originally talking about this and we said, why I, I, I one of the eyes was saying why they can't do this. Why Biden can't do this is because there's no solution to the ongoing problem. Right. Because what about the, what about the kids that are borrowing right now? That's what I'm saying. Do they, are they they going to be forgiven? And then it was like, well, how far back are were, well, did they go to, you know, it, it, did you have to add, incur the debt during the Rona or, or, or could you do it be, if you incurred the debt before the Rona? I still I think, mean, yeah. And it still comes down to, I think schools need, I mean, it, right. college expenses have got a, out of hand. If you know what you want to do, why is a bachelor's taking four? You, you think about how many elective classes which yeah, I, who yeah, said wanted, a bachelor's degree had to be four years? And who said I had to take all these other classes? Because how many people, at least my two older ones, said I had to take classes I could care less? I'm not saying some you want to expose to, some of them, but most of them complained about how stupid the electives were. Now, that's the other thing. you know. So Biden has been successful in like some of those non-credited universities carry that kind of went out of business yeah now those are that's i mean that's tough because you didn't even get a degree and so those those student loans were forgiven and i've been saying all along there's way too many colleges in this country right do we really need as many colleges as we have and i think well colleges are i mean and yeah does a bachelor's degree have to be four years do we have to do they have to charge all of that i don't know and, and you, you don't know, think they're ever administrative heavy I, at some of these schools? Why don't the schools for you know kick in half the debt forgiveness? That's what I'm saying, or a percentage. I was glad to hear. Um, I did see a headline: Duke University. If anybody who's admitted that lives in North Carolina and somewhere else gets free tuition, and I'm thinking about time. As much as those schools that have endowment funds, you know, finally they're not having people pay tuition. Or certain requirements. Same thing you've said that with Harvard, that nobody would ever have to pay tuition at some of these no, schools if you no. could get in. Um, but yeah, why don't they do something about? All right. So just um, now, Karen, I was going to do something on how much Social Security. Um, because the other thing with inflation right now, we're, we're entering the third quarter of the year, right? And that's typically what is used. Mm-hmm. To calculate what the new Social Security cost of is living is that why there's been be. some, a few headlines about that? Yeah. So the, the, some of the think tanks right now are saying that 
based on numbers we're seeing right now with this disinflation, that it would be 2.7%. Mm-hmm. Um, and Big difference from the 8.7. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I had some numbers on that, Carrie. I don't know if I can find them. Right I did now. see that a lot this week, and I was like, well, boy, isn't it a little earlier? Early? Um, and we... we um. At the state planting right now, I keep kind of an eye on a like a ten year rolling average, um, and the you know what are we using right now? I think we're using what we're using two and a half. Okay, so right now we're but we un- were using one point two for a long one point eight for yeah one point two then right. it was one point eight for mm-hmm. a while when we saw inflation going up and and then most recently we've been using two and a half still below. What the you know they're saying right. that two and two point seven will be, um, and the idea there is, but that's what we keep an eye on. You know, in, in other words, let's and and I think the ten year rolling average, even if we get two point seven for twenty twenty four, I think the ten year rolling average is still above two point five. I think it is around around two point seven. Mm-hmm. So that's and coincidentally that's about the ten year rolling average. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and of course some years it's zero. And remember 27, I think it was a, was it the 2017 was year it 0.3? or 2013 year when they said the, the, the shock line was the, the smallest increase ever. Was it 0.3 that year? It was year? 0.3. And yeah. I'm saying, but I'm saying, yeah, but we had zero before, but since zero isn't any right. increase, right. They, they turned around and said a 0.3 increase is the smallest increase. It's like, yeah, but it's you know, whatever. It's not, right. it's, it's. Point three is better than zero, but mm-hmm. anyways, I, I, we we got a kick out of that when that year when they did that. Um, so, but the the point also is too when we're running a financial model for a client, you can tell us what inflation you want to use for Social mm-hmm. Security. You can get more conservative. You could use the the lower one point two. You go back to one point two if you want. If you want to assume that there's going to be a twenty three percent cut in Social Security benefits in twenty thirty five, we can model that. But you know, some we of have our some, clients are modeling that. But we have some younger clients that want to retire early that um, that say assume no Social Security. It may not be realistic, but they want to they want to see a financial model assuming they're never going to get Social Security, which may not be realistic. And they're leaving a lot yeah. of money on the table, but they feel like. And usually, when we showed them that, they said, "Oh, well, maybe I won't be that conservative, right? Because it's millions of dollars, um, right? It's a lot but of Hawaii least, trips. You know what? If you can do it without, great. Now, okay, I have a few minutes. I was, I wanted to do the. I said I'd do the rule of sixty-one. Okay. And this gets to the idea of you know again the averages. So right now. One of the Franklin Templeton says the average American worker plans to retire at age 62. Okay. Um, and well, that was, that was actually before the Rona. Okay. So okay. they're saying prior to the coronavirus, they were American workers were thinking 62. In the wake of the pandemic, they've now pushed that out to age 65. Remember last week's show, mm-hmm. I was saying it depends on what age you're asking the person, you know, what age they are when you're asking them. Because mm-hmm. the younger they are, the younger they're saying their retirement date is. Um, hard to believe. Um, but anyways, this gets back to David Blanchett, who is a, you know, he's got every initial after his name here, PhD, CFA, CFP, a great, you know, student of right. financial planning and modeling and stuff like that. And he, in, in 20, I was about 2018 or 2019, he came out with what he called the, the rule of his rule of 61. Okay. Which of all the studies that he'd done, <laughs> he did, 
he came up with this crazy, you know, uh, salute or, or, you know, benchmark. Right. And he basically says that when people, when they say, if they say when they're going to retire, he, he goes at around 61. So if, if they initially say that they're going to retire before age 61, he then says that they're underestimate they're actually going to work longer okay and and it, and it reverses if they say initially they're going to retire after 61 chances are they're not going to work as long as they say they are okay because of like you were mentioning because physically they may not be able right to, right um and the factor is two okay so in other words the way he says is okay so let's say the person says, Mark, I'm planning on working to age 69. Okay, well, you take 69 minus 61, you get eight. Okay. You take eight, divide by two, you get four. Right. So actually, they'll probably retire at 65. Okay. 69 minus four. Okay. okay. Um, now, if this, um, right now, this this uh, Frank and Templeton saying post-pandemic, the people are saying 65, you take 65 minus 61, that's mm-hmm. four. You divide by two. So you take two off 65, they'll actually probably retire at 63. Okay. If you go the other way, let's say someone says, Mark, I'm planning to retire at 60. Well, I'm planning to retire at 59. Okay. Okay. Less than 61, right? Mm-hmm. So you take 61 minus 59, mm-hmm. that equals two. Divide by two, that equals one. So they'll probably actually retire at 60. Huh. Not 59. Hmm. Now, um, it sounds crazy, sounds right? Sounds like he had fun with that, probably. And, you know, and he's he's got the graphs that looks pretty convincing. Okay. Now, does that mean that's right for you? I don't know, but it's something to keep in mind when you're talking about conservative and realistic assumptions. Carrie, get us out of here. Take advantage of a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation by phone or in person. Call 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. And I hope everyone has a nice July 4th weekend. And same, Carrie, put that cherry bomb down. Yeah. Be careful with that. <laughs> Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.